Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. Hello and welcome to episode one, our very first episode of the Culture of Things podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers, and today I have the great privilege to introduce a friend of mine, a guy I've known for a little bit of time, Josh Rose. Josh, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, Brendan. How are you? Very well, mate. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on to our first episode. Appreciate no having you. Not a problem at all. Mate, before you tell us a bit about your uh, esteemed football career, we've known each other for a little while, about 20 years now, so you're just telling me off air about the you know, big decisions you made and, and moving to Brisbane, and tell us a bit about that. Yeah, look, I was, thinking, I was thinking about on the drive over here and um, thinking about how big a change it was for me at the time. A uh, young boy moving from Rocky to, to Brisbane and uh, I think a few few people close to me in Rockhampton told me to, um, you know, challenge myself a bit and take, try and take it to a higher level. And, you know, one of the biggest things looking back was uh, the decision to go to Wynnum Football Club. And I think, think one of the best things there were the people that surrounded me just a really good mix of um you know experienced players i think we had stevie Forshaw who had who'd played at the highest level someone like that to to look up to um guys like yourself who who had been around the the league for a while so it was it was good for me as a, as a young player to to just be surrounded by good mentors good people and you know it was a really good bunch of boys Unfortunately, my football career never took off like yours, but uh, it sounds like I contributed to helping you. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, look, everyone, everyone helped in their own little way. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Um, so today I want to talk to you. Obviously, you're a, an ex-Mariners player. You've also played overseas professional football in Romania. Today I want to focus a little bit more about Central Coast Mariners and your experience there because you are one of the players that, that was around Central Coast Mariners and playing for that club for quite a long time you were brought across there by Graham Arnold in 2010 and Arnie I think fair to say based on the the results built up a pretty solid team so you were part of that starting point and but you're also there during the uh, I guess the not so good days and the and the you know the issues the the performances on the field weren't as, as great as what the community and the fans would have liked so how about you tell us a little bit about your footballing sort of journey um, just to give the, the listeners a bit of a, a background on, on what you've done so far. Yeah, look, I think um, my football, was a, it was a hard graft always. I think coming from Rocky as an 18, 19-year-old, I, I didn't have that tag of someone who'd come through a, an institute or an academy. So I think that followed me around a lot in this country, uh, especially in Australia. You know, it, it probably wasn't until I, I took the plunge and, and went over to Romania where I probably earned a few more stripes and a little bit more uh, accreditation, I think. Um, but, you know, it's sometimes it's it's really you got to take yourself out of that comfort zone to, to prove yourself, I think. And I was never I was never afraid of doing that, which which definitely helped in the long run. You know, you just got to go and do things with no fear. And I think... Moving to Romania w- was a big was a big change for me, but it really opened my eyes up to what football means to to people in that country, and then you know how grateful they are just to play the game at, at that level. So, 
to see that and, and to bring that back to Australia and, and even to instill that in my own kids is all the the kids at the academy is is you know something unique I think so that that was a massive help along the journey but um, yeah look moving to the Mariners in 2010 I think it was was a it was one of those big decisions that we spoke about before with uh, moving to Wynnum at 18-19. It was a choice between Brisbane or Central Coast. We chose Central Coast to, to move away from Brisbane. We'd lived there for a long time, so we wanted to, my wife and I wanted to, to challenge ourselves and, and take ourselves out of the comfort zone. So at that time, Central Coast were, were a very successful club. I think they'd played in two grand finals, they'd won a premiership, so, you know, it, it wasn't a a decision that you'd go, you know, I'm going to a club that's that's struggling or whatever. And Graham Arnold, the next Socceroos coach, I, I saw it as a, a fantastic opportunity to to improve my game and, and meet someone who I held in high regard. So, you know, I came here with uh, with an open mind and it, it really turned out pretty pretty great for the first few years. Yeah, it, uh, it changed after a little while. You know, things... Things go around in cycles, I think. A mm. lot of football teams and things like that can go in cycles. So, you know, I was there when the team was on top of the league and I was there when the team was on the bottom of the league. So, mm. you know, there's definitely um, a few differences that I've noticed that we'll, we'll touch on today, I think. And um, Definitely. Let's, let's talk about the, the early days, so that the glory days, I guess we can call them, yeah. that sort of 2010 to 2013. As you said, they were quite successful club, I think fair to say, punching above their weight You know, when the A-League first started as well, right right through to that time frame. Graham Arnold obviously thought a lot about you as a player because you were the first, you were his first signing, I understand as well. Was that right? Yeah, I was, I think. Um, to, to be honest, I think Arnie had heard about me from Romania. He hadn't actually seen me play. Um, so I was in conversation with him. There was talk of me coming to, to trial for the for the team and I'd, I said, yeah, I'd agreed to it. But um, I was actually training with Gold Coast United with Miriam Bloberg at the time. So I was sort of tossing up between them as well. And then Arnie was still involved with the Socceroos at the time and he, he had Jason Kalina and John McCain in a camp with him. And I think they both said to him, look, if he's if you're going to sign him, sign him quickly. And mm. Arnie pretty much rang me straight away and said, we'll get the deal done. So uh, thanks to those two for, for help getting it over the line. But yeah, it's, um, it was uh, it was a good choice in the end. Tell us about those, I guess, those years. So in, in this interview, we really want to contrast those glory days versus, I guess, where the Mariners have been over the last several years, unfortunately. So just tell us a bit about your experiences as a player, um, your interaction in the team, really look diving into it from a teamwork and from a leadership perspective and Graham Arnold's influence in the group in those first few years. Yeah, look, Arnie was fantastic. He, um, he, he really bought into the, to the Central Coast culture back then. Um, I mean, that's the first thing you notice coming to a club like Central Coast back then. The culture was talked about throughout the league massively. You know, and it didn't disappoint. It was a fantastic bunch of boys. It was really, it was a place that you loved coming to, to train every day. It didn't feel like training. It didn't feel like work. It was just somewhere you loved being. Yeah, it, it really showed on the pitch. Every, everyone had trust in each other. Um, everyone respected each other. And I think back then, it just the vibe through the whole organisation 
um, was just a, a, a really good vibe. And look, don't get me wrong, re- results help that. Mm. Re- results definitely help that. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, um, for, for things like that, uh, an atmosphere or an environment to change when results change. So luckily enough back then, we, we had good results. Mm. Um, I think we, we rarely lost two or three games in a row and, and uh, you know, we continued to, to punch well above our weight um, year on year. So, mm. you know, I think that really helped with everything from the office staff all the way through. Mm. You, you mentioned the word culture a couple of times and it being a great culture. You also mentioned the word trust, which I know, again, talking offline is a really important part of, of building teamwork and leadership. So what is it, what was it about the culture? You know, you talked about getting coming into your workplace, I, which was the, the training pitch, and, you know, it wasn't a, a chore. It didn't feel like work. What, what was it about the environment that really made it such a great culture? Yeah, look, I think everyone knew that if they did their job and they did it properly or they did it to 100%, then that was well respected. Um, you know, we, we knew that mistakes would happen. We knew that, you know, as, as players, we had trust in uh, Graham Arnold and, and Mossy and Clarkey and JC and, and everyone else in the coaching staff that if we lost the game or if we were struggling in the first half, then, you know, we trusted them. We knew that if we if we worked hard and, and limited our mistakes, we'd get to halftime and, and they'd be able to change something and majority of the time we'd come out and get the win. And, and those things help build trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that helps build the respect that we have for each other. So over time that just built and built and it was, um, you know, it just created this great environment um that that really you know kept building year on year mm. and from it so you spoke a little bit about the coaching staff and the the respect that you know, mutual respect you you had players and coaching staff what about amongst the playing group what what did what were you guys doing as a group to to really foster and build those relationships and trust amongst the group yeah look we we were genuinely all good friends mm. um you know, we had a crew that sort of travelled from Sydney for training every day and they'd travel together. Uh, some would stay for the week at a at a caravan park and, and things like that. We had boys would go for coffees. We have the families. I mean, Arnie as a coach would always organise, um, like, get-togethers and make sure families were always there. We did, uh, you know, plenty of community engagements where we were there as a team, coaching staff included, um, we were just we were just always together. We we always had that genuine respect for each other. I don't know if everyone were really good mates off the field. Mm. You know, you're never going to be really good mates with everyone, but you just had that genuine respect when you when you're on the field or on the training pitch. You just he he's your teammate. You do anything to help your teammate, and mm. and that's that's the feeling that we had. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, you're in the in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah. When the going's tough, you you knew that you could rely on your teammate, yeah. which makes a massive difference. Definitely, definitely. Let's talk for a little bit about Graham Arnold's influence on the team. Again, you know, he he signed you. Uh, you spent a number of years with Arnie. Uh, he's had a very successful coaching now, coach of the Socceroos, and doing great ching, great things with Clarkey. So, just his leadership on the group. Tell us a bit about that and how it impacted you. Yeah, look, I think he, he he genuinely cared more about, you know, he genuinely cared about the person, firstly, I think, um, and, and, you, and you got that sense. I think, 
you know, there, there are a few people that tr- try and probably say they care about the person, but, you know, little things they do probably don't show that. Where, where he genuinely did. I think he, he did a really good job of, of masking the boys of probably outside influences, whether that was within the club or outside the club, whether it was, um, you know, organisations trying to attack our organisation or, you know, the club struggling, which, which we did in the, uh, the year we won the grand final. Obviously, there was a financial struggle. Um, you know, the players were sheltered from that, I think. Um, you know, Arnie obviously had all the inside information and, and sort of drip-fed what he felt we needed to know. And then he reassured that what we need to concentrate on is our job, which is the football side. And if we take care of the football side, he can take care of the rest. And, and you know, that helped us really concentrate on what we needed to be doing. Great to hear again, you know, that it allowed you to focus on your job. And, and even when, I think you said off, offline that, uh, you know, when the pay wasn't coming in, that's, that's when you sort of wondered or you thought that, oh, okay, there might be a few problems here. But you were really, Arnie sheltered the players from that and let you focus on the, on the job at hand, which was winning football matches. Yeah, that's right. That, that was our job. And, um, you know, I think he even paid a few of the young boys out of his own pocket and until and they were sorted and, and made sure everyone was good. And, you know, he was in constant uh, conversation with everyone and make sure everything was, was fine and, and things like that. And, and like I said, he'd, he'd let us know on the situation as to how much we needed to know and, and how much we didn't need to know and, and things like that. So it was always good and, uh, you know, we felt like we, had, we genuinely had someone behind our back uh, fighting our fight. So it was good. And, and as a player, to know that your coach cared about you your, your leader of the team cared about you that much so I'd, how did that make you feel on the on the pitch and, and training oh yeah definitely you know and, it, and not even just Arnie I mean Hutch was our captain back then and you know we had the leadership group of guys like Paddy and, and Mille Stajowski and these sort of guys and mm. you know y- you knew they always had your back as well it was it was they were part of that coaching staff and and you know they were our leadership group at the time and and they always looked out for us as well. So it was not just, you know, fighting for that 90 minutes for the coaches. It was fighting for that leadership group, fighting for each other and, you know, fighting for the young boys, making sure they had a good foundation to, to build into and, and things like that. We were all just one one really good unit, I think. Mm. Sounds like you'd walk over hot coals for each other, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty much like that, you know. Talk about the community because, again, the, the Marin, from my perspective, an outsider looking in and being on the coast for a period of time, the, the Mariners seem to be a lot more involved in the actual Central Coast community back in those glory days. Tell us a bit about that and, and your involvement, the players in the community and how that seemed to spur you guys on as a team and to really create help create something special. Yeah, look, we, we did a massive amount of community work uh, back then. I think we did the, the club nights with a lot of the, the local clubs and uh, we do a lot of coaching, um, yeah, coaching club nights, sign autographs, give out posters, little things like that. And I think the, you know, the kids and the parents and, and all the local clubs, they felt that genuine uh, connection with the Mariners back then and you know, we'd see the kids on the, on the Saturday or the Sunday behind the fence and they, they'd give you a big wave and we'd wave back and, it, you know, when kids get that, it's, I, I think, you know, it's that genuine connection. I think 
even for me living here so long and I, I say, you know, I can walk through air in a shopping fair and people smile and wave and my eldest son's like, who's that? And I'm like, I have no idea. You know what I mean? But that's that's the coast. Yep. That's what I love about the that's coast, brilliant. you know? That is that is the coast. You just then they'll, they'll just talk to you. If you had a bad game, they're like, oh, what happened? But they won't say it in a negative way. They'll mm. just genuinely ask, you know? And that's... That's the coast. That's the way it was um, back then. I mean, now that results aren't the way they are, I'm not sure they're still like that to players. I, I'd <laughs> like to think so, but probably not all the time. But, yeah, that's I, I, I genuinely do love that about the coast. Um, and that's probably one of the big reasons why we stayed here, you know. Um, mm. And, yeah, I still get the odd occasional wave through the shopping centre, which is <laughs> good for the kids to laugh at. But it's great. I hope they keep waving. It's yeah, good. Yeah, their, their dad was famous at some <laughs> stage. Is that right? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> they probably don't always think that you're famous, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to – and I know it's not all about sort of Arnie, and, but, you know, the head coach is the head coach. They, they sort of live by the sword, die by the sword. And yet there was a strong coaching group and they had a lot of respect for each other. What was the involvement with Arnie through the club and the, and the coaching staff through the club? Yeah, look, I mean, he was obviously, he would obviously run, have to organise our pre-season around all the community work, mm. which, you know, he probably obviously wasn't always happy with, but he understood that that is part of the Mariners. Mm. This is what the Mariners do. Mm. So you being the coach, you, you need to organise around this because this is a big part of what we are, who we are and what we do. And, yeah, like I said, he wasn't always happy about it, but he understood, he bought in, he, he knew that f- for the club to survive, for the club to build a good foundation, and ideally, what's the point of doing all our training if we're getting two people to the stadium? You know, we need them to come out and support us. That's the only way the club's going to survive. Mm. Um, so we knew that, and he knew that, and he understood that, mm. and that's why he did it. Is best possible uh, way to, to integrate that within our season and within our within our pre-season and, mm. and to try and get the community on board and that connection as much as possible. Mm. So all that engagement as, and the importance about engaging the community was part of the culture, you know, people looking after each other and there was respect amongst the coaching staff in the players, you know, strong bond with the playing group. It really, I mean, that obviously fabricated into some pretty decent results on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. We we had some fantastic years, and um, you know, like I said, even through those three years, there were times where we felt we weren't playing great football or whatever, you know. Um, but you know, we ne- we never really turned on each other. It was always that trust that we'd get out of it, um, which I think good good organisations or you know whether it's sporting team or business, you know, you've got that trust with each other through those tough times, you know, that you can get through, then a lot of the time you generally do. So let's, before we move on to the not-so-good days of Mariners and just, you know, your experience and contrasting some of these stuff you talked about, you just mentioned around sport and business and, you know, you're running a successful academy, Rose Football Academy on the Central Coast, very well supported. You're just telling me you retained 100% of your previous, you know, client base from, from last year uh, which is absolutely fantastic for a business how has your sporting experiences both locally and and internationally helped you in business Uh, I think it's helped massively in business Um, I don't think I've changed too much of the sort of person I am I'm pretty easygoing sort of person I've got 
you know, maybe I need to be a bit harder sometimes, I've realised, which has probably helped me a little bit going into the business side and and seeing how it works at times. But I I don't want to change who I am too much. You know, who I am has got me to where I am today. So I'm not about to completely change who I am or, or my morals and and my personality so you know that that's helped me heaps I, I think I provide a culture or an environment where not only kids can express themselves and, and grow as people whether that's with football and life in general but I think I give my uh, employees my coaches that um, you know trust to, to talk to me and tell me and then you know I've got a head coach that will occasionally tell me I need to pull myself into line and I love the fact that I've got that he's got faith and trust to be able to do that sometimes you know to come to me and go you know what just take maybe next two two days two training sessions you just take a step back and just watch maybe you just need to relax a little bit calm down maybe there's too much going on and I love that you know Mm. and I can take a step back and know that give him full control and he's he's running everything and you know the same principles all the way through so I love the fact that I've created that environment and you know that's I think that's because I've just remained the same personality and the same morals from sport and business yeah that's brilliant and I have to say to our listeners I visited Rose Football Academy a couple of times spent some time with you down there and and you're definitely what you're saying is true there's a great feeling there the kids are having a great time you're really building a strong environment strong culture and obviously as I said you know you had 100% of your clientele return so that's pretty good definition of success right yeah that's (laughs) yeah no that's good you know we're we're doing something right down there I think Uh, the feedback's fantastic and as with anything in business you know we just keep keep working um keep implementing new things, keep challenging, keep progressing mm. as we go. Let's talk about the Mariners currently or the, you know, I guess the, I'll say your second half of your stint, not necessarily when you returned from Melbourne City, yep. but there was maybe a turning point in the Mariners or, or maybe what you started to see as a turning point where things were things were changing. They weren't, the feel around the club wasn't as good. So can you tell us a bit about, about that and, and some of the changes that you saw yeah, look, obviously the first big change was probably results. <laughs> results on the park, which, look, let, let's be honest, it, it doesn't really help everything else. Mm. Um, for a football club, results on the pitch will really help everything else um, as it goes. But, look, yeah, I think, as we spoke offline, I think t- two of the biggest things for me that I noticed from um, the first few years to the to, to probably what's happening now and, and things like that is trust and fear. You know, trust from people in higher positions to, to, to trust people in their roles to, to try and change and implement new things that may or may not work. And then fear, maybe there is that fear from those people that the trust is not there. So they have that fear maybe to keep things to the norm which we know is not working now so they're a bit too scared or they've got that fear where they don't they don't have the trust to change or to implement new things whereas speaking from experience i think if you've got trust you've got um 
you you've got uh, no fear to to come out with new ideas to to try and implement new things and it, it's not so much of no that's not working go back to normal it's hang on it it might not be working but how can we change that to maybe you know it, it, what they completely come up with might not be the answer but they might be on the right track instead of just completely blocking it out it's like well, yeah, you're on the right track, just not quite there. How can we work together to try and implement something that may work? Mm. So I think that that's where we're at now, maybe a little lack of trust, which instills fear in everyone from possibly the CEO to the, to the players. Mm. Um, so, yeah, how do you change that is, a, is something that um, they possibly need to look at, I think. Mm. You as a player, and again, you know, contrasting from the early days to to then, and, and you know, really valid points. You know, trust and fear they uh, they they or lack of trust and fear feed off each other. Yeah. What was the impact on you as a player, and what was the impact you saw on your teammates, and and the impact on teamwork for your team actually winning games? Yeah. Look, I think as a as a player, um, you knew when Arnie was coach, it was his system. I think one of the biggest changes I noticed as a player was. The, the coaches after Arnie were almost told how they were, had to play. So then did we have the right players to play that system? Did we have, um, you know, the right foundations to instill that sort of game style and uh, come away with the right results? Because essentially you need results. So probably not, come to think of it. Mm. But um, at the time I think they were told that they need to play that style. So there was no trust in giving that coach a, a job and saying, okay, we'll give you your trust to, to coach the team and manage the team and to do a good job and, and bring the club results. And then um, it, it's just slowly cannonballed from there, I think. Mm. And now you've got a situation where it's probably in dire straits and, and how can we change that now? It's a, it's a, it's a big, long process now. Mm. And... Just flowing that that word trust and fear into because we spoke a little about community and the the engagement you had as a player and all the other players in that sort of twenty ten to, to thirteen fourteen period. What's what's happening in the community with the Mariners now? From an outsider looking in, I see personally very little engagement with the community. What what's your feeling about this and, and the impact on trust within the community? Yeah, look, I mean, look. And we come back to it again, the, the results. And the, obviously the community has got a big, bigger disengagement now. And, it, and it's only getting bigger every year, I feel, with the results going the way they are. Look, the, the good thing is the, the Central Coast community, you'll always get that core base. As with any club, you've always got that core base through the tough times. And let, let's, you know what, kid, kids... As much as they are kids, the young kids, they just love seeing the players. They, the results for them are, are just the results. It probably comes a lot from the parents on the drive home from the stadium, what fills their mind, you know. But y- the, the more the young kids see those players, the more they can relate to those players. So for me, instead of having fear of getting out in the community because of the results, I think they do a big push into the community. So it, let, it, let's go into that then, the... I guess you know simply what you you've you've seen it you've experienced it overseas locally uh, you've seen a lot of things through your football career yeah. some good some not so good 
if it was Josh Rose, you know, head of Central Coast Mariners CEO, um, what would what would you do? How would you change the approach that the Mariners are currently taking to get that glory days back? Look, first and foremost, uh, definitely connect to community again, uh, whether that's through majority of fan engagement days, um, the old club nights that we used to do. And look, they're not easy. It's, it's a lot of work on the players. Um, it's a lot of work on the coaching staff to implement that into a pre-season, into a, into a, a, a yearly schedule. And probably, you know, recruitment. You, you need the right people to, to be able to connect the community. I think we talked about Patrick Svansvike offline a little bit. I mean, like, he, him engaging for the community, I mean, he'll chew the ear off anyone. And he, <laughs> he, he really bought into those sort of, you know, those sort of nights. Mm. He loved talking mm. to people. He loved engaging with the community. And, you know, we need people like that. We need people, um, and I'm not saying they're not there now, we, they've probably just not been given an opportunity to to show that they can do that now. Mm. I think probably through lack of fear of getting out there and that. But look, I'd probably say Central Coast have the probably the most forgiving community out of every A League club. I don't think, yeah, if you're a victory or one of those sort of clubs, for one, you can't walk around town and probably even get recognised unless you're one of the top three. Um, we're here on the coast you know you get recognized mm. you, you do you get recognized it's a community that wants to be involved it's a community that feels like they can talk to the players mm. whether good or bad and they just want to they just want to you know at the end of the day i think it's just them letting the players know we do care but we're here for you you know mm. we're here for you just keep working and and just you know give us a bit back and it's it's interesting because when I look back and, and again being fortunate enough to to know you for a period of time, I had some involvement with the likes of Patrick and and Gumpsy and and Quaz and these sort of guys. And the the real test for me around community is that when people are playing for a club and when they're not playing for a club, they're here, like yeah. they're living. Actually, most of these and, and Macca, I mean Macca's in Newcastle, but these guys are in the community. They stayed in the community. Yeah. Some of them weren't, you know, they came from overseas, but they're they're still living here. And that to me, that's a real testament about the the essence and the fabric that was the Central Coast Mariners in those days when you were there, compared to to now. I think there's people, the players seem to come in and out. It's just a job for them. It's not a yeah. community thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can add Monty to that list. Monty, He's still good here. example. Um, Hutch, he'd still be here, I think, and he probably can't wait for the day he comes back. But, yeah, I mean, Patrick, you can't get rid of him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> A lot of people have tried. You mean, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with that. Mm. Um, I signed the two-year contract and then the pl- plan probably was to move back to Brisbane or, or whatever, you know. Mm. I don't know. And, yeah, I think... By the first six months, we weren't going anywhere, you know. Mm -hmm. That's the way it was. Um, And a lot of the boys back then, the the people coming in, they saw that people had been here for five or six years. So then you've you've probably got... And and this is where the fear comes in. You, You can probably see that the security was a bit better back then because you got guys there that have been... He's been here for five or six years. He's nothing special. Like, I'll, I'll sit here and admit I was nothing special. I gave 100% every day and I did my job and I was lucky enough to work under a good manager. 
but by no means was I anything special, but I carved out a long, successful time because of just doing the simple things well and, you know, and I think that gave people a little bit of confidence in going, yeah, well, you know what, maybe if I work hard I can stay here for a couple of years. It's not a bad place to live. It's quite good and mm. we were a successful club at the time and, you know, I think we can get back to that. So what is your hope? As, as an ex-player, what is your hope for the, the Mariners moving forward? Oh, look, I've got, I've got three young boys that love their football and actually can kick a ball around a bit better than me than I, I could have at their age. So, you know, I cannot wait to see them in a Mariners jersey. First and foremost, I want the club to be successful for a long time, you know. I want it to be sustainable. Like, let's be honest, he, he can't keep bleeding money, so it does need to become sustainable. Secondly, then we, we build on the competitive side. We, we need to be competitive to, to engage the community. You know, we need to really bring that back. But, you know, I think, I think we touched on this as well. A few homegrown players would be fantastic to help engage that community as well, which I think they've slowly done with Lewis Miller and there's a couple of good young youth league players now coming through. But, yeah, just a, a good, solid club, you know, that, that's what I want. I want... Like I said, I can't wait for to see my boys in a Mariners jersey. You know, I, I want them to to relive my emotions about playing for the Mariners, mm-hmm. and that you know they might not be winning things or that, but just the feeling of putting on the jersey and representing the community and and things like that. I want them to feel that when they put on the jersey, and that's I think that, like I said, it comes down to sometimes the parents driving home from the stadium, the negative talk and things like that. Um, you know, through everything, I've constantly told my boys that you know the Mariners and they're an A League club. They're they're a professional club right in our backyard. Mm. You know, we need to support this. Mm. We need to work together, and and I hope that we can. Uh, you know, that they can implement things that will help us be more competitive and, and grow as, a, as an organisation. And we, we hope to have an A-League club and a professional sporting team on the coast for many, many, many years to come, 100%, right? 100%, definitely, definitely. Mate, as a final sort of close-off, how about you, if you're okay with it, let, let listeners know how they can get in touch with you if they want to ask you any questions around, you know, what you've really thankfully shared with our, our listeners today. Josh at rosefootball.academy. Mm-hmm. Um, email through any questions. So I'm happy to, ch- to chat about anything. Excellent. You know, I love talking about leadership, whether you've got kids in, in football and want to know a direction, what to go. I'm happy to chat about football or, you know, development stages, things like that. Excellent, mate. Anything? Look, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. And I know that, you know, we focused a lot on your experiences with the Mariners. And for me, I found it absolutely fascinating talking to an ex-player and just understanding, I guess, the workings in those early days versus now and, and your experiences. So thank you very much for sharing those. There's another opportunity and, and you know, the stuff that you're doing through Rose Football Academy is, is fantastic. As I said earlier, I've been up there a couple of times, seen you in action, what you're doing, the love that the kids are getting for the game, which is, you know, again, up to, you know, thanks to you and, and Quaz, you're, you're doing fantastic things. So I think there's another episode in itself just to talk about the culture you're building in your own organisation you've got complete control of and then the trust you've built and the, the engagement with the group. So, But as far as this conversation goes, mate, I really want to say thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. 
it's amazing. I really had no idea when we first met 20 years ago that we'd be sitting across <laughs> the room at each other and doing a podcast together. Definitely not. <laughs> We've had 20 years to prepare <laughs> for this moment. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, mate, thank you again. Really appreciate your time. Not a problem, Brendan. Thanks, mate. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Josh Rose today. Josh really has a wonderful insight given his experiences at the Mariners during the glory days and the not-so-glory days. I'd like to share my top three takeaways from my chat with Josh. The first takeaway I'd like to share is Josh talked about the fact that the playing group loved coming to work. They loved coming to the training ground and spending time with each other. It wasn't necessarily about them being all best mates off the pitch. On the field, they had a level of trust and respect for each other and they they knew that they would do anything to help each other as teammates. Everyone knew each other as real people. They knew what was happening in each other's lives. They would organise get-togethers for the players and their families. And the players also spent time with each other in the community. So they really had a lot of opportunity to spend quality time with each other, not only on the playing pitch, but outside of the playing pitch where they got to know each other and they enjoyed each other's company. And that really helped drive a positive culture at the Mariners in the glory days. My second takeaway was really around leadership. And Josh talked specifically about the leader, Graham Arnold, and the coaching staff generally caring about the players. I love the story that Josh shared about Graham Arnold, where Arnie paid some of the younger players out of his own pocket when the Mariners were having some financial difficulties and not able to pay the players. It really showed a level of support and care for the players. Arnie also had constant conversation with the players. He looked after them. He sheltered them from some of the issues in the club so that the team and the players could focus on their job at hand, winning football matches. The final point which I took away from the conversation with Josh was really around teamwork. And Josh talked about trust and fear. And in particular, he mentioned during the tough times and the not-so-glory days of the Mariners, there was a, a real lack of trust which instilled fear and everybody. And it's so true. When people in a team don't trust each other, fear comes through. They're fearful of sharing new ideas. They're fearful of trying new things, of implementing new things. They're fearful of providing feedback to each other. And it really drives a terrible culture and it really works against the concept of teamwork and building high-performing teams. They were my three key takeaways after talking with Josh, culture, people loved coming to work and spending time with each other. Leadership, the leader and the coaching staff generally cared about the players. And teamwork, trust and fear. A high level of trust is so important because it takes fear away. When you don't have trust, fear builds in the group, which works against the idea of building high-performing teams. I hope you enjoyed those takeaways. Please think of that in relation to your own work environment and how it can help you. If you have any questions about what you've heard in this episode today or generally any questions around culture, leadership and teamwork or any feedback you'd like to send me about future episodes and what you'd like to hear on the Culture of Things podcast, please send me an email at brendan at brendanrogers.com.au. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate and give a review on Apple Podcasts. 
And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.